you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. We start a new series in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 1 today, 1 through 5. And uh, the title of this series is The Gospel According to Moses. The Gospel According to Moses. Because that's what we see in the book of Deuteronomy. Today we're looking at Deuteronomy 1, 1 through 5, and if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of the pew Bibles there and turn to page 136 in the pew Bible, page 136 in the pew Bible, and if you don't have a Bible of your own, then we invite you to take that pew Bible with you, and that's our gift to you today. We just want everyone to have a, a copy of God's Word, so please take that and enjoy it, use it for your edification. You know, last words are, are usually fairly important. We tend to pay attention to, to last words uh, that people might have to say. Here are some famous last words of some wonderful Christians in the past years. David Brainerd, who was a, a missionary to Native Americans, and he actually died in the home of Jonathan Edwards. But uh, he said, I am going into eternity. And it is sweet to me to think of eternity. The endlessness of it makes it sweet. But oh, what shall I say of the future of the wicked? The thought is too dreadful. Brainerd was a missionary to the end. He mourned the lostness around him. John Bunyan, who was a preacher and, and writer wrote Pilgrim's Progress that you may have heard of. But John Bunyan, his last words were, Weep not for me, but for yourselves. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who through the mediation of his blessed Son, receives me, though a sinner. We shall meet to sing the new song and remain everlastingly happy. And the fiery Scottish preacher John Knox said, Live in Christ. Live in Christ. And the flesh need not fear death. And of course, the most important last words of all were spoken by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. His last words were, It is... And aren't we glad of those words? Well, as we look at the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy records uh, some very important last words. The book of Deuteronomy are the last words of Moses. What we find in the book of Deuteronomy are a series of, of sermons, really, a series of sermons from Pastor Moses to his flock Israel. And so as he is preparing to die, he knows he, at the end of this he's going to die and the people of Israel are going to enter into the promised land. And so these are the final words of Moses, his last words to his flock, the people of Israel. Deuteronomy is important throughout Scripture. It is important throughout Scripture. When you begin to look at the rest of the Old Testament, from Joshua to, the, to Malachi, you, you see the mark of, of Deuteronomy everywhere. 
when you get to the prophets especially, they're, they're always referring back to Deuteronomy. And so it was very important in the rest of the Old Testament, but also it's very important in the New Testament. We see it quoted, it's the third most quoted book of the Old Testament in the New Testament. Psalms is first, Isaiah is number two, but Deuteronomy is right up there at number three. Deuteronomy was actually the most quoted Old Testament book by Jesus. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy more than any other Old Testament book in the Bible. And so it was very important to Jesus. So I think it should be pretty important to us today. We need to look at Deuteronomy and think about Deuteronomy and learn from it. The title of the book, Deuteronomy, this is kind of interesting to me. Uh, maybe it'll be interesting to you, but Deuteronomy... Uh, this title, this English title, is actually a, a transliteration of the Greek Septuagint. So the Greek translation that was uh, there in the first century, it would have been the, the Bible of Jesus and Paul. Uh, the, the Greek translation titled the, the book Deuteronomus, uh, which means second law. Second law, and the reason they titled it the second law was because it, it kind of is a repeat of the law you have the first uh, presentation of the law in exodus Je uh, moses goes up on mount sinai and he receives the law from god and then he brings it back down and gives it to the people and so it's it's founded there it's established there but then you go through 40 years in the wilderness and they come back to the the land of jordan and they're getting ready to go in and now we, we get a repeat of the law, and so it's a second time that Moses preaches on God's law. But here in Deuteronomy, it, it's even more than, than Exodus because he expands on it and applies the law in real applicable ways. And, and so it's, it's really more than a second law. The actual Hebrew name for the book is uh, Devarim which means words words that's the the hebrew title of the book words are the words and this may be more appropriate it, it's coming off of it's feeding off of the first line there these are the words of moses they're the words of moses they're his last words his final words the final words of pastor moses to his flock but more important than that, these are the words of God. The words of God to his people as they go in to take possession of the promised land. These are his words to them. And what we see here in Deuteronomy is that these are wonderful words of God's grace. These are wonderful words of God's grace. A lot of times people get this mixed up, right? They think about Deuteronomy as the law, right? It's just the law. Thou shalt do. But really, this is all about God's grace. The law is in there, right? It's part of God's grace, in fact. But this is about God's grace. These are wonderful words of God's saving grace. And so what we see in Deuteronomy, if we were to, to sum it up, perhaps, the message of Deuteronomy, and, and this is by, is, by the way, our, our message in a sentence today, the message is this, 
God redeems, relates to, and renews unworthy people. God redeems, God relates to, and God renews unworthy people. That's the message of Deuteronomy in a nutshell. God redeems, God relates to, and God renews, he recreates an unworthy people. That's the message of Deuteronomy, and in fact, that's the message of Scripture. That's the message of the gospel. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we need to pay attention to the message of Deuteronomy. So today, as we look at Deuteronomy, as we kind of introduce this book, I want us to consider these three major themes in Deuteronomy, and we're going to see them kind of flesh out here in, in these first five verses. But we're going to see that God redeems, God relates, and God renews unworthy people. Deuteronomy is indeed the gospel according to Moses, and it is the good news for us today. So if you found your place there in Deuteronomy chapter 1, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hezeroth, and Dizahab. It is eleven days' journey from, from Horeb, by the way of Mount Seir, to Kadesh Barnea. In the fortieth year, on the first day of the eleventh month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them, after he had defeated Zion, Zion, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and in Adria, beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. We thank you for the book of Deuteronomy, and we thank you for the message that you are going to teach in it, to us in it today and in the months ahead. Lord, we thank you for all of your wonderful blessings, and Lord, we pray today as we sit under the authority of your word, Lord, that we would hear the message that you have for us and humble our hearts, O oh Lord, to believe it, to trust it, and to obey it. Now these things I pray in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So as we look at our text this morning, and this is kind of the introduction to the, the, whole, the, the whole book here, this, these first five verses in, in chapter 1, this is the, the preamble, the introduction to the rest of the book, and kind of lays the foundation uh, of where the people are and, and what's going on there. And so we kind of see certain elements uh, at least implied here in this text. They won't be all spelt out, but, but they're going to be implied. And so I wanna, do want to pull them out today and, and have this kind of as the, the foundation of our thinking as we move forward in the book of Deuteronomy. 
And the first major theme that we see here in Deuteronomy is God redeems unworthy people. God redeems unworthy people. Oh, by his loving grace, he redeems unworthy people. Look there again at the first three verses. These are the words of Moses. <clears throat> These are the words that Moses spoke to all uh, spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness in the Arabah opposite Suf between Paran and, and Tephel and Laban, Hezeroth and Dizahab. It is 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea in the 40th year. Now mark that in the 40th year on the first day of the 11th month Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him and commandment to them. Now, notice what it says there, and, and you, you got to understand a little biblical history here to catch this, in the 40th year. What is he talking about, the 40th year? Uh, this was 40 years after the people of Israel had come out of Egypt. Right? God, they were there enslaved in bondage to the Egyptians. And God heard their cry. And God came to Egypt and he delivered them out of slavery. Now, he didn't deliver them out of slavery because they were a worthy people. Right? He didn't deliver them out of, of slavery because they were a righteous people. He delivered them up out of Egypt because of his grace alone. In fact, when you go back to the book of Exodus and you look at, at the narrative there and you look at the story of the exile, uh, all along the way, just as Pharaoh denied God and disbelieved God, so did Israel, the people of Israel. When God began to, to send down plagues upon the, the people of, of Egypt, and then, then the, the Egyptians, they, they made the task even harder upon them. What did they say? What is God doing? Is he trying to destroy us? Oh, if he would just leave us alone and just let us be slaves to, to Pharaoh. I mean, we had it so much better. And over and over and over again, you, you see the people of God rebelling against God. They didn't trust God, even though they were seeing his miraculous wonders take place before their eyes, yet they did not trust him even when they get to the, the the red sea before god parts the waters oh god just brought us out here to die oh wasn't it so much better back there in egypt when we were in slavery to pharaoh wasn't things much better then now he's brought us out here to die they didn't trust god but god took them across the red sea and he brought them into the wilderness, and he brought them to the mountain of, of Sinai. And there at Sinai, God delivered his law. He came down from heaven, right? They, they saw the glory of the Lord descend, descend upon the mountain, and the fire and the smoke of God covered Mount Sinai, and they feared, and they trembled before God. 
And Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he brought back the law and, and the people said, Oh Moses, you just tell us what God wants us to do and, and we'll do it, but, but don't let him speak to us because we fear the Lord. And, and so they thought that was good. God thought that was good. And so Moses went up, he, he got the, the commands of the Lord and he brought it back down to the people. But, but Moses was up there a little too long, right? He was up there for 40 days and, and after 40 days they were like, Aaron, I don't, we don't know what happened to your brother man Moses is just gone he's disappeared you make gods for us and that that God will deliver us into the promised land and so Aaron made the idol you see they decided I think it's better off if we have an idol that we can handle than a God who makes mountains tremble they weren't faithful to God but yet God continued to be gracious towards them. He didn't wipe them out. He was gracious to them over and over and over again. And he brought them all the way to the land of promise. And he said, go in and conquer. I will go before you. I will deliver this land into your hands. And what did the people of Israel do? Those people in, in the land, they're too big, God. They're too big. They're going to destroy us. Wasn't it so much better for us back in slavery? We don't need you, God. We need to go back to Egypt where we had it nice and lovely and wonderful. God invited them to trust him, to put their faith in him. And that generation said, no thanks, God. And so God denied them entry into the promised land. Because of their lack of faith and their faithlessness, God let them go out into the wilderness. And he says, you're going to die in the wilderness. And then I'm going to bring your children back here in 40 years. And I'm going to give them the land of promise. But even in that, you know, God never abandoned the people of Israel. Even though they were faithless, God was still faithful to them. For if you read in the book of Numbers, as they were, were, were running, wandering through the wilderness for 40 years, God continued to provide bread from heaven. He provided meat when they needed meat. He provided water when they needed water. And their clothes never wore out. 40 years they wore the same clothes and they never wore out. Never had to worry about patches or any of that kind of mess. They, God provided them for them the whole way. They were an unworthy people who sinned against God over and over and over again, yet God in his loving grace delivered them. And now here we are, 40 years later, and God brings them once again to the land of promise. And he says, I'm going to give it you i'm going to fulfill the promise that i made your father abraham i'm going to fulfill it for you today and i'm going to give you this land god redeems unworthy sinners the israelites were sinners they were rebels against god's sovereignty and, and we think right we think we, we read the book of exodus and we're like are they just insane? Uh, they're seeing all of this take place. 
They're seeing the wonders of God, and yet over and over again, they deny Him. Over and over again, they're faithless towards Him. And we think, are they insane? Oh, but don't think too highly of yourself. Oh, how we have experienced the saving grace of God in our life. He brought us out of uh, out of slavery to sin yet how often how often do we reject his sovereignty over our lives and choose to do our own thing we're no better off than the israelites we're just as bad a sinners as they were we're just in a different culture a different age praise be to god he redeems unworthy people like you and me he redeems unworthy sinners and let me just tell you if you're here today or listening in online or whatever wherever you may be i want you to know no matter what your sin no matter your depravity god saves unworthy sinners he saves unworthy sinners, and he will save you. God saves unworthy sinners by giving his undeserved grace. By giving us as a, a gift, his undeserved grace. We can never do anything to merit God's grace. The people of Israel never did anything to merit God's grace. They just rebelled again and again and again and again. They didn't deserve God's grace. They did nothing to win his favor, and you can do nothing to win God's favor. We can absolutely do nothing to win God's favor. I mean, obedience is expected. So any amount of good works will, will never save us, will never merit God's grace. But God gives it freely. Though we undeserve it, though we've never done anything to deserve God's grace, He gives it willingly and joyfully. Oh, praise be to God that God redeems unworthy people. God redeems unworthy people. Romans chapter 3, 23 through 24, For all have sinned, each and every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we are justified, we are made right in the sight of God by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God saves unworthy sinners by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God redeems unworthy people. A second major theme that we see here in the book of Deuteronomy is this. God relates to unworthy people. Now this is good news too. God relates to unworthy people. You know, amazing thing happens here. Amazing thing happens in, in this text. Look at verse 3 again. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel. Now watch this, watch this. According to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. In other words, and, uh, he, give, he gave to, to Israel, he delivered to Israel all that God had commanded Moses to give to them. 
Everything that God said. In other words, these are not Moses' words, right? Moses is the, the human speaker here. He's the one speaking these words, but these are the words of God. Deuteronomy is the words of God. He is revealing himself to his people. Now, this is outstanding. This is absolutely remarkable. Because we need to understand, right? God is under no compulsion. He, is, he has no obligation to reveal himself to us in any way, shape, form, or fashion. In fact, Romans 1, 18 through 20 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. You see, God is under no obligation to reveal himself in a special way through his words because he has already revealed himself in creation. As we look out at the magnificence of creation, the wonder of creation, we should be able to see that there is a sovereign God who created. When we see the magnificence of how everything works together, when you think about the complexity of the human body, now scientists out there, you know, the evolutionists, they say, oh, it just happened by accident. It happened by accident, right? You, you just kind of got the right chemicals together at the right time under the right atmosphere and all of these things all this stuff had to happen you know at, at just the right moment but it all happened at the right moment and bam there was life and that life systematically transformed over time there was a, a genetic kind of uh, alteration along the way here there and yonder and and now we developed into this well, you might as well take a scrap of, a, a pile of scrap metal, throw it together, and hope you get a car out of it. it you would be just as likely to get a car out of a hunk, of, out of a, a block, block of, of scrap metal, right? A, a dumpster full of scrap metal as you would getting life like the evolutionists say we've got life. Creation testifies to the existence of God. When you look at creation, how everything is made, how everything exists, you have to say there is a wonderful, mighty, sovereign creator over it. And submit to him as creator. That's the point of Romans. His attributes, his, his divine attributes, they're evident in creation, yet... Mankind denies God and rather would believe the lie than the truth. See, God's under no obligation to reveal himself, but that's his loving grace. He has revealed himself. 
He has revealed himself. He has revealed himself, one, in his written word. Moses spoke all that God had commanded him to speak. So what we see in Deuteronomy is a revelation, a a verbal revelation, revelation of God. God says, here I am, boys. Here I am, boys and girls. This is me. He's introducing himself. He he says, this is me, and I want to be in a relationship with you. This becomes even more evident as you get into the book of Deuteronomy, and and this is kind of lost on us today because we're in a different culture, a different time, and we don't understand covenants like they did then. But when you, you look at the structure of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is set out in what's called a Caesarean vassal treaty or a Caesarean vassal covenant, which would, would have been a very common covenant in 1400 B.C. when Moses wrote this book. Right When this book was written down and was given to the people of Israel, uh, they would have been able to say, oh, look at the structure. It's structured just like a Caesarean vassal treaty. Oh, this is a covenant. This is a covenant. God wants to covenant with us. He wants to enter into a relationship with us. You see, a Caesarean vassal treaty was between a Caesarean, that is a sovereign. So you have a king, a mighty king, a warrior king, who says, you will be my people. I want to be your king, and I want you to be my people. And so he calls his vassals, he he calls them up, and and he says, I want to covenant with you. And so you have the mighty king who wants to to covenant with his people. He wants to establish a relationship. And and we won't go through, we're going to look at kind of the structure of the covenant as we move through the book later on. I don't want to go over all that today because of of time. But but basically what you get in a Caesarean vassal treaty is the king says, I will be your king. I will provide protection for you. I will provide property for you, land for you. I will provide provisions for you, and I will give you my presence if you will be my people. And the people, they come and say, we'll be your people, and we will submit to your leadership over us. In other words, God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Let's put it in terms that we might understand. God says, I will be your husband, and you will be my bride. And when you move into the prophets, you see that imagery come into play where God is the husband of Israel, and Israel is the unfaithful wife who has broken covenant with God. But that's what we get. God will be our father, our husband, our king and his people will be his bride his children god calls us into a relationship he called israel into a relationship just as he calls us into a covenant relationship and as you you look at this Caesarean vassal treaty 
one of the first elements of it, I'll, I'll go ahead and open this one for you, the historical prologue, which we'll begin to look at next week. The historical prologue, this, this part of the, the covenant establishes the fact that Israel is an unworthy people. Right? It, it shows that they time and time again had broken faith with God. And despite their rebellion, God graciously invites them into this covenant relationship with him in which he will be their God, their husband, and they will be his people, his bride. See, we need to understand this, and this is, is what you need to grasp today, that sin, number one, sin separates Sin separates. Sin separates us from God. God is a holy, righteous God who cannot be in the presence of sin. Sin separates. Sin separates us from God. It pulls us away from God. That's what we see in the very beginning when Adam and Eve were in the, the Garden of Eden. They were in a relationship with God. But then in chapter 3, they sinned against God. They rebelled against Him. They trust the liar rather than the truth teller. And they trusted Satan rather than God. And sin came into the world and sin separated them. They had to get out of Eden. They could no longer walk with God and be with God. Sin separated them from God. And in our natural condition as sinners... Living in rebellion against God, sin separated us from God. But grace restores. The good news is that grace restores. God's grace comes to us even while we are sinners. Yet while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were sinners, God came to us. And provided the way of salvation to restore us in a relationship with Him so that we might be in a relationship with Him and, and understand, right? This is not some kind of relationship where God says, All right, I saved you. Now you just go over there in the corner somewhere or you just go do your thing. No, God wants to be with us. He wants to be with us. He wants to commune with us. He, he wants to talk with us. To hear our worries and our troubles and our, our life. And, and he wants to pour into us and, and develop us and, and be with us. He wants to be with us. Right? That's what it was in Israel. That's why they built the, the tabernacle. So that God might dwell with them in their midst. He was there with them, relating with them. He was in an actual relationship with them. And today he tabernacles with the church by moving in our hearts to living in us he dwells within us not just amongst us but in us god wants to have a relationship with us what wonderful news a husband and wife went to marriage counseling and the counselor asked the wife so so what's going on why, why are you here what's the problem and the wife says, well, I just don't feel like my husband loves me anymore. And the husband looks at her and says, well, what do you mean, honey? What do you mean I don't love you? I go to work every day. I work hard to make a living. We got this nice house. 
I bought you a fancy car. You've got nice clothes and lots of nice things. What do you mean I don't love you? Look at all that I've given you. And the wife looks at her husband and says, but I don't have you. You're always at work. You're never with me. You never spend time with me. You see, the husband thought it was all good because he was giving his wife lots of things, but she didn't want the things. She wanted him. And you need to understand, God is not some genie in a bottle that we can just, oh Lord, give me good things, give me good things. That's not the relationship that God wants with you. And if that's the relationship you're looking for, don't look to God because that's not what he's going to give you. God wants to be with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to know you intimately, and he wants, more importantly, you to know him intimately. He wants to spend time with you. God relates to his people. He wants to be in a relationship with his people. He doesn't want to just give you nice things. He wants to give you the greatest gift of all, his presence in your life. Oh, what glorious news. What glorious news. God redeems unworthy people. God relates to unworthy people. And third, the third major theme that we will see in Deuteronomy is that God renews unworthy people. God renews un unworthy people. Now, as we think about this, we need to understand, first of all, that sin distorts God's image in people. Sin distorts God's image in us. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, it says that God looked and he, he saw that everything he created, it was good, but, you know, there's some, still something wrong. And so God said, let us create man in our own image and in our own likeness. And it goes on to say that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we were created in the image and likeness of God. But sin came into the world and distorted that image. Now, not completely, right? Not completely because when you get to, to Moses, or excuse me, not Moses, when you get to Noah and uh, God establishes his, his covenant with Noah, he says to Noah that if a man takes the life of another man by the, by the hand of man shall he die. By, his, by, the, blood, by the hand of a man shall he, he, he be, die. You know, he established uh, the death penalty. And why? Why did God establish the death, death penalty? Because he struck down a person, a man made in the image and likeness of God. That's why there's the death penalty. It should be the death penalty for murderers. Because murderers strike down a person who is made in the image and likeness of God. So we still bear the image and likeness of God, and so we, we respect, we treat other people with dignity, 
because they are made in the image and likeness of God, yet at the same time, that image and likeness has been distorted. Sin came into the world, and we are sinners. We no longer have the, the moral perfection that Adam and Eve had. At the very least, the moral, uh, the moral character of man that was originally created in the image and likeness of God has been distorted. And we could probably say many other things as well. So the image of God in man has been distorted by sin. But here's the good news. Grace renews God's image in people. Grace renews God's image in people. That's the goal of grace. That's the aim of grace. We see this in our text. It's kind of alluded to. It's kind of, uh, we, we see it here in, in seed form, right? Verse 5, behold, beyond the Jordan and the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law. This law, now that word law there is the word Torah. Torah. Now the word Torah, although it is translated law, it is not so much like the legal code that our minds, our Western minds might think of. When we think of law, we think of the legislators, you know, making laws and the laws of the land. It's kind of that way, and it kind of has those elements to it. But more than that kind of idea, more than a, a legal code, Torah means something more along the lines of instruction or direction. So Moses undertook to explain this instruction, this direction. And, and as we move toward the law, what we would consider the law, the Ten Commandments and, and all the workings out of the Ten Commandments, as we move towards the law, we realize that that's not just thou shalt do, right? But, but that is revealing to us the very nature and character of God. And so what God is trying to do in the law, what his aim is in giving the law, is to mold us after himself. We've been living in sin, we've been doing our own thing, and God gives his, us his law so that we can know how to love God and love one another. We can know how to be morally upright. The purpose of the law is to make us into the image and likeness of God, to restore the image of God in us. Deuteronomy 8, 6. Excuse me, yeah, 8, verse 6. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways, His ways, and by fearing Him. That indicates that His law, what we would consider the law, the Ten Commandments, and the outworkings of the Ten Commandments, those laws reveal his nature. They're walking in his ways, in his character. And that's the same purpose of salvation in Jesus Christ today. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, be imitators of God. Because of the salvation of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, therefore be Im imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, God's ultimate aim in all of this is to remake us in his image and likeness. 
to restore the image of God that has been distorted in us. To make us whole again. Now that never happens completely in this life. We know that. There's always going to be some distortion as long as we live in this old corrupted body of flesh. But yet, God is working in us to remake us, to transform us even now. And then we know that when Christ returns and He calls us up into the air, Scripture says we will become like Him because we will see Him in that moment. In that moment, God's word will be complete. World, uh, God's goal will be complete. And the image of God in us will be renewed because we will see Christ. You know, you become what you love. You become what you love. If you love LSU football, guess what? You're going to wear some purple and gold, aren't you? If you love golfing, you're probably going to start looking like a golfer, wearing golf shirts and golf pants and that sort of thing. If you're a fisherman, you're going to start looking like a fisherman. And if you love God, you're going to start looking like God. You're going to start taking on His attributes, His character, His moral character. You're going to start walking in His ways, pursuing his ways ways of righteousness God's aim is saving you in saving you is to renew your his image in you he wants you to be like him he wants you to be like Jesus and that should be our goal as well as Christians now understand right we're, we're, we're not saved by obedience to the law. That wasn't even true in the Old Testament. You're not saved by your obedience to the law. You're saved by God's grace through faith in God's promise. The promise of Jesus Christ. That was the same for the people of Israel in Deuteronomy. And it's the same for us today. They were looking for the future Messiah. We're looking back to the Messiah who's come. And now reigns and rules in heaven. Our salvation is by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is our motivation now to be obedient to the law. You see, we don't obey to save ourselves. We don't obey for the sake of salvation. We obey because of salvation. Because of God's grace. We live in obedience because we want to be like God. We want to be like Jesus. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. But don't stop there. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You see, God saved us by His grace. And when He saved us, He entered into us. And now He is working in us to change our, our thoughts, to change our passions to renew our hearts, our wants, our desires, so that we want what He wants. We work towards His goals. But in that, He calls us to pursue, to come after Him, to join in the work, to become like 
Jesus. Oh, these words of Deuteronomy are wonderful words of God's grace. They're wonderful words of God's grace. They are the gospel according to Moses, but ultimately it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see this as we, as we begin to go through. We're going to see that, that this is the gospel. The gospel, period, right? The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ who came to redeem, relate to, and renew God's people. That's God's aim for us. That's His aim for His people throughout history. You know, Matthew 5, 17 says, Do not think, Jesus says this, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And Jesus fulfills them by fulfilling the promises of God. And not only giving us the written word of God, the written law of God, but also writing that law on our hearts. Giving us even greater ability to follow his law and to become like Jesus. God sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to redeem, to relate to, to renew his people. And dear friend, that means you. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening in from, God sent his son to redeem, to relate to, to build that relationship with you and to renew your life, to make you like Jesus. And today God offers you redemption. Just as he was sitting at the, the banks of Jordan inviting his people Israel to trust in him, today he is inviting you, trust in me, trust in Jesus. The question is, will you trust him today? Or will you reject him and continue to do your own thing? Redemption comes when you trust in Jesus and surrender to him. Will you trust him today? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. We thank you for the book of Deuteronomy, and Lord, we look to it with anticipation of what you're going to teach us in it. But Lord, let us see, first and foremost, that the message of Deuteronomy is a message of your grace. These are the words of your wonderful grace that comes to redeem, relate to, and renew us. Not in Moses, not in the law, but in your promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, let us look to Jesus today. Let us trust in him. And that, Lord, as Christians, let us seek your renewal in our lives. As you work in us, Lord, let us work along with you to renew the image of you that has been lost. Teach us, O oh Lord, in your word and through your spirit to be like Christ. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.